ولله الأسماء الحسنى فادعوه بها Referring to the protector, one who is a guardian, Al-Muhaymin is the one who stands as a witness for his chosen ones and the one who provides security. This benevolent attribute of God is most visible through his protection of his loved ones. The entire life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is a testament to the attribute of Al-Muhaymin. During the Battle of Uhud, there came a time where the enemy had surrounded the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Muslims, exhausted, had scattered about the field, leaving the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, alone and exposed. But it was Al-Muhaymin who stood in his defense. It was he who caused the Muslims to assemble and form a ring around the Prophet, peace be upon him. He gave them the strength to fight until they themselves were pierced by the swords of the enemy. He was the reason the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but through the protection granted by Al-Muhaymin, our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. This is just one of many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life was safeguarded through divine protection. One of the most devoted followers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may God be pleased with him, wrote that God himself was the guardian of the promised Messiah. He was the reason why Talha, may God be pleased with him, could absorb arrow after arrow. The Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but through the protection granted by Al-Muhaymin, our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. This is just one of the many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life, was safeguarded through divine protection. The promised Messiah on whom be peace was skilled in swimming and horseback riding. On one occasion, he was swimming and nearly drowned. He was saved by an older man whom he had never seen prior to this incident and never saw again. On another instance, he was riding a horse that became uncontrollable, so much so that it crashed into a tree. This proved to be fatal for the horse, but the promised Messiah on whom be peace was miraculously saved without any injury. 
These are not mere coincidences, nor good luck. This is the work of Al-Muhaymin. How else would the promised Messiah on whom be peace be saved by a man who vanished into thin air? Or be saved in an accident that killed a mighty animal? The same protection that was afforded to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the promised Messiah on whom be peace, is granted to all believers. Al-Muhaymin is the one who protects against the severe and subtle attacks of Satan. He guards against accidental and intentional injury. He stands witness for the truthful and provides security to those without a voice. It is the way of God to protect His believers, to become benefactors of the protection of Al-Muhaymin. It is incumbent to accept the Imam of the time. Are women inferior to men in Islam? A companion of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once asked him, Who is best entitled to kind treatment and good companionship from me? The Prophet answered, Your mother. The companion then asked, And after her? The Prophet answered, Your mother. The companion then asked the same question a third time, to which the Prophet gave the same answer. When the companion asked the same question once more, the Prophet then said, Your father and then other close relatives. Bukhari This saying alone refutes the misconception that women are inferior to men in Islam. And in particular, it demonstrates how much importance Islam gives to the respect for one's mother. According to Islam, all believers are equal, and only righteous deeds elevate one person above another. However, Islam also recognizes that such equality does not mean that men and women are the same in terms of their capabilities and roles. It notes their different physical and emotional strengths and in view of this, sets out their key roles in life. The roles are therefore not a reflection of superiority or inferiority, but a matter of natural capacity and proper functioning. For example, men have been assigned the duty to work and provide their family, whereas women have been assigned the role of motherhood and of looking after the household. Islam places equal importance on both and also stresses that the roles are neither exclusive nor inflexible, i.e. Islam does not prohibit women from working or serving society, nor does it discharge men from their share of responsibility for their children and household. In Islam, a woman is entitled to individual ownership of property. If she is married and chooses to work, then the money she earns is hers and the husband has no right over it, whereas a husband must provide financially for the whole family. Any property that a wife acquires by her own effort, or might inherit or receive as a legacy or a gift, belongs to her independently of her husband. Islam also granted women the right of inheritance, and accordingly, they receive their due share as prescribed by Sharia, Islamic law. This economic independence of women was established by Islam well before any similar rights were given to women in the modern world. In the United Kingdom, for example, it is well known that a married woman could not hold any property of her own as late as 1882, when the first Married Women's Property Act was passed by Parliament. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, 
exalted the intellectual and spiritual status of women. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, knew the essential part that women had to play in the development of society. So he laid great stress on the upbringing of girls by saying, A man who has two daughters and brings them up and educates them to the best of his capacity and gets them married shall be entitled to paradise. Upon hearing this, a person asked, O Prophet of Allah, what if he has only one daughter? He replied, and even one. Al-Mu'ajim al-Usat You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 7th of August 2023. The time is 7 11 a.m. and you're listening to Daniel Zia, Imam Nabil Bhatti, and Imam Usman Manan live from the South London studios of Voice of Islam. Uh, it is. Um, Promising to be a good morning. Uh, the sun is eking out and uh, it's 10 degrees at the moment. Uh, the high expected at about 21 degrees today. Um, the two topics that we have for you today are friendship. So World Friendship Day is being celebrated this month. So we shall talk about that a little bit. And then from 8.15 uh, a.m. onwards, we shall go on to the second topic, which is about volunteering, uh, the importance of volunteering, um, uh, how critical it is to, to volunteer to support um, the, uh, the social structure um, and the benefits uh, of volunteering. What do actually volunteers get out of that? So we shall delve deeper into that discussion. So those are the two topics. Please do join us in both of these discussions by calling us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Right, as is the norm, we start off the show with headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. So the Metro reports that Labour will use barges to house asylum, asylum seekers temporarily if it wins the next general election. According to the paper, Shadow Immigration Minister Stephen Kenock says his party would have to continue in a very short-term period to, to use the infrastructure that there is due to the complete and utter chaos and shambles of the Tory asylum crisis. The government's decision to house migrants or barges has sparked a lot of controversy, with some human rights group calling it inhumane. The Daily Mail reports that government ministers are drawing up proposals to send asylum seekers arriving in the UK via the Channel to Ascension Island, a British overseas territory 4,000 miles away in the southern Atlantic, if their plan to send some people to Rwanda falls through. The Times also reports that the government has alternative plans if the Rwanda policy fails. In its lead, the paper says ministers are assessing alternative options to tackle the small boats crisis, and Ascension Island is one of them. The small volcanic island was previously considered as a location to process asylum seekers, the paper reports, adding that ministers believed its remote location would create a strong deterrent for those planning to cross the channel in small boats. Meanwhile, the Daily Express reports that landlords and bosses 
who help migrants live and work in the UK will be hit in a crackdown and face fines of up to £60,000 per illegal worker and £20,000 per tenant. Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick is quoted as saying that making it harder for illegal migrants to work and operate in the UK is vital to deterring dangerous, unnecessary port crossings. The Daily Telegraph also leads on fines for bosses employing people who've arrived in the UK illegally. It says the drastic increased fines aimed to tackle the UK's image as being soft on immigration. The, uh, a source told the paper these measures would make it completely economically unacceptable and financially ruinous to risk employing workers illegally. In its lead, the I newspaper reports that UK scientists are preparing for a potential bird flu pandemic in humans. It goes on to say that the avian influenza strain H5N1 has killed millions of birds since October 2021. According to the paper, the world's top virologists are preparing for the emergence of a new virus and health chiefs are confident of a slick and rapid response to new threats following the COVID-19 pandemic. The Guardian carries a report on MPs' second jobs as the paper found that MPs were paid £10 million from second jobs and freelance work over the past year alone. The sum was largely driven by the size of Boris Johnson's earning as well as former Tory ministers, the paper adds. In its analysis, The Guardian looks at all the MPs who made more than 1000 from outside income, including from surveys in the past year. The front page also features an interview with children's author Jacqueline Wilson. The Financial Times leads on a report that Europe's biggest companies have suffered at least 100 billion, 100 billion euros or 86 billion pounds in direct losses from sale, closure or reduction of Russian businesses since the start of the war in Ukraine last year. Penalty pain is how the paper describes the woes of the US Women's Football League a football team whose World Cup dream is over. The US scored one of the top contenders to win the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, lost by the smallest of margins after video technology showed that the ball that the ball US goalkeeper Alyssa Neher had saved had saved crept a millimeter over the goal line, the paper adds. The Daily Mirror leads on a poll carried out by the newspaper which suggested that seventy four percent of people would like tougher penalties for the owners of dangerous dogs. So those are the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. A reminder of the two topics. So the first topic is about friendship and brotherhood. Uh, That topic, uh, we shall start at 7.30 a.m. and um, uh, it coincides with the World Friendship Day this month. And then from 8.15 onwards, we shall delve into the benefits of volunteering and the importance of volunteering in the civic society. So please do join us for both of of these topics. You can call us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We shall be back right after this quick break. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. 
أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمدا You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. The world cannot accept me because I do not belong to this world. But those who are gifted with a measure of otherworldliness are the ones who accept and will accept me. The one who rejects me rejects him who has sent me. And the one who is grafted to me is grafted to him who I represent. I bear a torch which will illumine all those who come close to me. But the one who entertains suspicion and doubt and runs away will be subjected to darkness. I am the impregnable fortress for this age. Whoever enters my fold will be protected from thieves, robbers and the beasts of the wilderness. I call to witness God Almighty, who holds my life in his hand, that compared to every other soul, he has gifted me with overwhelmingly greater ability and access to the understanding and the deeper wisdom of the Holy Quran. If any of the Malvis, traditional Muslim scholars, who opposed me in response to my repeated invitations, had attempted to outshine me in the exposition of the Holy Quran, God would have most certainly frustrated his attempts and exposed his ignorance. Hence, the understanding of the Quran which has been granted me is a sign of Allah the Glorious, and I have full trust in Allah's grace that soon the world will begin to see that I am true in this claim. I am not alone. That noble Lord is with me. No one could be closer to me than him. It is only by his grace that I have been granted a loving soul, ever willing to serve his cause in the face of suffering, so that I should render with zeal and sincerity outstanding services in the cause of the faith and carry out to victory great expeditions for Islam. He has commissioned me to accomplish all this and none can make me desist from pursuing this cause. You're listening.
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 7th of August 2023. You're listening to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Sudi's Voice of Islam. My name is Daniel Zia and I'm joined by Imam Usman Manan and Imam Nabil Bhatti. Um, we are talking about the headlines appearing in the newspapers uh, this morning and uh, uh, my friend here is uh, is uh, you know the the expert on football and and, um, and he has some uh, some news to share. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's uh, it's it's breaking news, but yeah, <laughs> I, I I can see the smile on his face. So th- there must be something um, which which he appreciates. I, I wouldn't claim myself as an expert in football; just an expert <laughs> in. Uh, in, in Arsenal's in affairs, Ars- in Ar- Arsenal's affairs, that's who right. That is. Okay, so, so yeah, so so full disclosure. Let's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think uh, uh, you, there was a community shield match. So I think it's ideally whoever wins the Premier League and whoever's won the previous FA Cup, they play for that shield. And Arsenal won in penalties against Manchester City, um, the treble holders. And yeah, so by the grace of Allah, it was a good day yesterday. Um, I think more of a, you know, it's it's a good way for Arsenal to start before the Premier League, um, as they did lose during the whole season to Manchester City in matches as well. So it's a good good way to get rid rid of the mental block that they had during the season. So yeah, I'm happy for them. And they won in penalties as well. I was watching the match. Right. Um, some ups and downs during the game, but um, I think that's what's expected when you have a couple of new signings as well, just to adapt the team etc but overall it was good so I would reckon that given that this is start of the season yeah this would augur well for uh, Arsenal it should, uh, should be uh, it should be um, you I don't seem to have your hopes very high <laughs> or, I, you, I, I don't, or do you I, want to manage your hopes uh, I so yeah you exactly get, you know, I don't, I don't want to give a statement that might backfire later on three four months time <laughs> and uh, you know you might you might catch me on that but you can so. hope for the best I mean, I can, hope for the best like, yes. No, nobody can, uh, no, can no, fault no. you on that. I, I think, I think, in terms of like, um, I think even Usman Manan would agree as well that when there's top flight teams who are in the top divisions and top part of the Premier League, I would say as well. Um, I think every ten years there's like a rise and a fall, um, and I think this Arsenal having that five six years when they, you know, fell down to one point, um, not even competing Champions League, um, they're rising back up to that position. Um, with new signings and fresh, you know, fresh um, players, etc., um, uh, which shows as though um, coming even second in the league, it's a huge feat for a team that didn't even qualify in the Champions League the previous season. Right. Um, you know, um, I think due to the squad depth, um, they didn't have the chance to maybe fully push for the Premier League, whereas Manchester City has a full-on superstar bench sitting there ready just to mm. fully attack for the position. Um, but I think with the new size and signings, hopefully, and plus we do have Champions League this season, so hopefully we, we can <coughs> we can do well. How well, the season has hardly begun. Sorry, Usman. Like, uh, the season has hardly begun and you you already sound scared of Manchester City. <laughs> it, it's, Matt, it's, it's Pep. It's all Pep. That's all it is. <laughs> I, think, I think he just knows how to utilise his players. That's all it is. Um, right. Even if you watched the match yesterday, Community Shield, in a way, is not known for a big trophy. Yeah. But... He had all of his main players on anyways, and uh, Arsenal did well against them. Um, I think even Haaland, had, for the whole match, he only had 13 touches, mm-hmm. and not even one shot on target. Um, well, I, I would give hats off to William Saliba, who didn't have the chance to play during the season due to injury, 
he had uh, Haaland in his pocket. Um, you know, it, it makes a huge difference when the main players are there. We have experience, um, and when they're not there, it makes a huge difference as well. But um, City or City, they also have like some sort of, I would say, luck charm or something. Where towards <laughs> the end, they managed to pull through. Fortune favors the brave, my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it's 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 a mentality thing as well. When yes. you want so much, even Pep was saying, there's a reason why they're selling all the players off. It's because that mentality is they've already won everything. Yeah. Right. So that mentality to push forward and carry on winning is not there anymore. So that rotational change in the squad is necessary. Mm. Um, and they've sold most of their, you know, Champions League winning, winning team anyways. Um, just to give that fresh in the squad and that mentality of keeping winning is still there. Mm. Um, mm. It, yeah. it is It is about mindset, hugely yes, about mindset. Yes. You know, sports these days is about mental toughness. It's about yeah, yeah. mindset. Actually, a lot of disciplines, you know, even business. Um I work with uh, with with some uh, some business leaders, and it's hugely about mindset. It's mm. it's about what you what you think you can do, yeah. rather than um, uh, uh, you know what uh, uh, even your capabilities actually might be, and you don't realize your yeah. own potential. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. Okay. Um, anything interesting uh, from your side, Usman uh, Manan? I think that caught caught your eye. Uh, yes, there is actually. Um um, not that big, but it is it is a, a good news, I think. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the UK's most uh, secretive centers of scientific research, which is called uh, the Porton Down Center, is aiming to stop the next pandemic in its tracks. So um, this uh, this center, it is um, these, these laboratories. They're run by the UK Health Security Agency, and the chief executive. Uh, of that agency, Professor Dame Jenny Harris, she said that um, COVID, of course, is not a one-off, uh, speaking about these pandemics, and they are already preparing for the next one. And they said that uh, they have a plan, which is called the 100-day um, vaccine plan. They're aiming to prepare the vaccine for the next pandemic, so they're already expecting another pandemic. Um, they're preparing to be able to have the vaccine ready within 100 days of the start of the pandemic. Um, and they said uh, COVID saved around 14 million lives, the COVID vaccine. Um, and they were, they're just imagining how many more lives it could have saved if they were able to make that vaccine uh, within those 100 days. So the aim for the next pandemic and they are very sure of it that the next pandemic is coming. It's coming much sooner than uh, the, the gap between COVID and the previous pandemic, uh, and probably even a larger scale. So the, the, this is, um, I think, it's just a good, uh, good way of thinking to prepare ahead. But um, I am curious how they're going to prepare for a pandemic. Um, obviously, you can't know what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, another part of this news is that the uh, ca- the cases of uh, the bird flu detected in the UK are also rising very drastically. Uh, and the difference is so much that before the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, the teams, uh, these laboratories, they were able to test 100 samples a week. But now there is so many uh, people affected from this that uh, they can test 3,000 cases in a single week. So there yeah, are some uh, some good news, but also some worrying news about the bird flu. Um, 
there's also something spreading or like around um so just uh, people should be a bit more careful not get too careless um thinking that covid is gone even though covid has been classed now as a regular regular illness i guess it's nothing special anymore um yeah that's it yeah excellent thank you very much uh, imam usman manan uh, for that um <coughs> We are now uh, coming to the close of this particular segment, which is about current affairs. We will take a very quick break. And when we come back, we will delve right into the first topic, which is about friendship um, and about brotherhood. Do stay tuned. to the Voice of Islam radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday the 7th of August 2023. The time is 7.32 a.m. You're listening to Dhani Al-Zia, Imam Usman Minan and Imam Nabil Bhatti live from the South London studios of Voice of Islam. And we're about to delve into the first topic, which is about friendship and brotherhood. So the International Day of Friendship was proclaimed in 2011 by the United Nations General Assembly with the idea that friendship between peoples, countries, cultures and individuals can inspire peace efforts and build bridges between communities. This segment will go through the importance, benefits and and impact of friendship. To mark the International Day of Friendship, the UN encourages governments, international organizations and civil society groups to hold events, activities and initiatives that contribute to the efforts of the international community towards promoting a dialogue among civilizations, um, solidarity, solidarity, mutual understanding and reconciliation. The International Day of Friendship is an initiative that follows on the proposal made by UNESCO defining the culture of peace as a set of values, attributes and behaviors that reject violence and endeavor to prevent conflicts by addressing their root causes with a view to solving problems. It was then adopted by the UN General Assembly in 1997. So um, the official uh, Friendship Day uh, was actually the 30th of July, not not this month as I thought earlier. So it, um, it was on the 30th of July. Historically, the concept of a day dedicated to commemorating Friendships was first introduced by Hallmark Cards and its creator Joyce Hall in the early early 20th century. This is when International Friendship Day first gained traction, despite the fact that this idea uh, idea never materialized at the time. It set the stage for subsequent initiatives to, to be recognized and the value of friendship in people's lives being given more importance. 
1935, the United Nations, uh, or uh, I beg your pardon, the United States Congress designated the first Sunday of August as National Friendship Day, further emphasizing the significance of this bond. Over the years, the idea spread across nations and many countries began adopting their own versions of Friendship Day, albeit on different dates. The United Nations then designated July the 30th to be International Friendship Day in a formal statement on that predicted date. The goal of this resolution was to encourage people and nations to work together, get over their differences and promote a culture of friendliness and empathy. So what are the benefits um, of friendship? So some of the benefits of friendship include mental well-being, through small moments of connection, friends prevent isolation and loneliness and give you a chance to offer needed companionship too. Friend can also increase your sense of belonging and purpose, boost your happiness and reduce your stress. Impact of human connection um, uh, is also good for your health. Friends can help you celebrate good times and provide support during bad times. That includes both financial and non-financial support. Um, including emotional support. Friends can also increase your sense of belonging and purpose, boost your happiness, improve your self-confidence and self-worth, help you cope with traumas in life such as divorce, illness, job losses or death of a loved one. They also encourage you to change or avoid unhealthy lifestyle habits such as excessive drinking or lack of exercise and can actually be um, a good influence if you have good friends around you. So, right, so with this particular background in mind, uh, if I can come to you, Imam Usman. Um, firstly, let's maybe talk uh, generically. How important do you think are friends in uh, in a person's life? Do you think family is enough if you, are, um, if you have siblings and you're close to your siblings? Uh, if you uh, are close to your parents uh, and if you have perhaps even cousins, do you still need friends? Yes. Right. And there's also, you've probably heard the question, it's, um, it's friends or family. Um, yeah. Or family, people pick, pick their family or their blood over anything else. Now, I think this is not the case with every family. Mm. Not every family thinks that my brother is the first person I'm going to help, I'm going to think about. Whereas a lot of people have better friends than their family. So even within families, if there is a family who thinks this, that family first, my, my, my brother or my family is the first, then I think the reason is because they're good friends within the family. Mm. Mm. So in my opinion, I think friendship is more important than your your blood, yeah. than your family. And the reason is that if, if you are really close to, to your family member, it's very likely that you are also good friends with them. That's the reason. Otherwise, every family member would be uh, um, dear to you. But it's not the case. A lot of people don't like their siblings or don't like their parents. Mm. Um, um, you don't see many parents who hate their children, but mm. there are some still. So friendship is something which I think goes beyond your blood. So friendship definitely is the most, the, the strongest relationship 
even between a husband and wife because uh, Islam says that the, the the connection the bond between a husband and a wife mm. is one of the most sacred bonds mm. and the reason for that is that you share everything together mm. your mm. secrets uh, you help each other as you were saying about mental health mm. everything your wife or your husband goes through um, goes through it with you mm. and that's why that that bond is so strong because of that friendship you build uh, living together or being together all the time so yeah uh, no doubt friendship is definitely the most important thing and uh, it's very interesting that you mentioned that um, having good friends is good for your health or having good friends is something which is uh, important um, so what what would you define as a bad friend <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would assume every friend should be good, technically. Yeah, but it doesn't really work that way, does it? Because uh, you you don't always find good friends, do you? Uh, mm. You don't always find... I, I think two or three things are very important in a friendship. You, there needs to be trust, there needs to be loyalty, there needs to be respect. Um, yeah. you know one can go on but I guess you know these two or three things are quite important and it's not always possible um, especially if you're moving around you know if you, if you, mm. if you grow up um, uh, in the place that you were born and then perhaps easier but then you know even then people move around and your friends might move around as well so um, so it, it's sometimes tough to to find uh, people, especially mm. in the you know in the times that we live in, the rat race that we all live in, you know everybody's um, a, a, is materialistic. Everybody is after his or her own interest, and and people look more at what is in it for me in pretty much every relationship than uh, you know than than a sacred bond like friendship. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the point you mentioned about moving around that's, that's really important because um, I have moved around uh, not that much, but uh, I think at a crucial moment, which was when I was around fourteen, fifteen years. Mm. So I moved from Germany to the UK. Yeah, and I think that that was a very because that was the time when I was building friends, and they were friends for quite a while, for you know a few years. Mm. So mm. I was starting to. Um, think that th- these are gonna be my lifetime friends. Sure. And at that moment, then I moved yeah. away from the country. Yeah. And I, I, obviously, I made new friends. Um, but then I'm, I, I sometimes I think about it. <clears throat> that who is my best friend ever? Mm. You know, like in in your whole life. Mm. Then there are those friends which I've been growing up with since childhood until I was fourteen or fifteen years old. But then. After that, when I was a bit older, that's when I started understanding that the value of friendship and the importance. And then I think the friends I made after that are maybe my my best friends or my better friends, mm. um, because that I started understanding the the sacrifice they were doing for me. Like we we're going out to eat, for example, that my friend says, "Oh, I'll pay for you. Don't worry," mm. or like he would insist that I'll do this. So don't worry, I I'll bring you, I'll bring you clothes for home. Don't worry, you don't. 
stuff like this. That would be so, your friends at uh, the Institute of uh, Theology and Modern Languages? Yeah. Right. Yeah, those are some from outside, but mostly there. So this is, I think, when I moved away at that age, it definitely had an impact on my friend. And I'm just thinking that if I stayed in the same spot, then those friends which were already growing strong with me, mm. they would have been like way stronger now. I mean, they would mm. have been uh, uh, a really amazing friendship. But don't you also think, uh, Imam Nabil, if I can uh, come to you, do, do you not think that as you grow, um, you need y- your... Uh, your expectations from friends also change and therefore the need f- for um, for friendship changes and, and therefore the person that you're looking uh, for as an avatar of a friend changes as well with that? Yeah, I would, I would totally um, agree to that aspect. Um, I think the age where you understand the values of relationship changes. So as we know, when we grow up, your value of relationships between your parents, your brothers, your siblings, your understanding of those relationships changes the older you grow. Um, when you're young, I think the need of friendship to mentally develop that child's head that, you know, you should respect this person's, you know, um, whatever needs they have, etc. Um, whereas when you have a friend to play with, hmm. spend time with, is different to a friend in the latter ages where you know, you where they respect you in the terms of, you know, okay, um, how would I describe this? I think, for example, personally for me, at this moment in my time in life, I do have friends. I have very close friends. I have friends, colleague friends, right? But for me, there's only one or two friends in my time where I would truly call them true friends in terms of whenever I do need them, they're available. But, but the thing is that they will also put me in a situation where I'm uncomfortable and tell me directly, no, this is wrong. Mm. You know, you need to rethink this, right? Whereas my normal friends would never say that. Yeah. So I think like you were saying, there's three fundamental values of friendship, trust, loyalty. I completely understand that, but I think there's another value where they are very honest to your mm. face mm. and tell you, look, this is wrong, mm. right? you got to change this. Mm. I'll give you an example, not personal, maybe you're treating your parents wrong. Mm. Right, but no, a normal friend wouldn't tell you that you're treating your parents yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. A true friend will actually see the situation. He will assess it. Mm. Say, look, I'm here, and we need to discuss this. That the other day, you, you know, said something to your mother or to your father or even to your brother, which is really wrong, and you to mm. address that issue. Right, a normal friend would never say that to you. Mm. Right, a person who understands your relationship, right, and understands the people that are around you, you treat them well. He will put you in the uncomfortable situation and tell you to address it. And you will value him more for saying that. That means that he's actually truly looking at you properly. He's looking at what you've been through. Right, and he's there to help you out. Um, I agree to what Manansa was always saying. I've, I've done seven years in theology. I, they, I have very good friends. If I call them at 2 a.m. at night, they'll pick up and see. As in, the thing is that it's not calling up 2 a.m. to go outside and eat or anything, yeah. right? To understand, like I was saying, to understand true relationship, they have families. Yeah. Right? They would understand I have a family. I need to spend time with them. So they wouldn't call me 2 a.m. at night, okay, let's go out and, yeah. you know, that's understanding true values of relationship for your friends and their families. Right? But if I know that someone's calling me at 2 a.m. 
and that friend, that means he's in need and he's calling me for a reason. He's not calling me for to go out and, you know, eat, etc., wherever it is. I think it, it very matters that once you do go up in latter ages, you understand what an actual friend is. And like you were mentioning before, there are friends that, I wouldn't classify them as friends, that they always need something in that relationship transaction, um, whether they might be good or bad. But I think it tends to everyone has their own needs and everyone tries to look um, at what benefit they can get from it. Mm. But sometimes there's no need for a benefit. You're just doing it for the sake of helping a friend out. Or you're doing it for the sake, maybe he needs something at this time that I can be a help of, so let me help him. But there hasn't, there doesn't, it doesn't have to be that in the later stages he's going to ask for that, you know, that favour back. Look, so let me ask you this. What do you think drives this behaviour? Um, why would you go out of your way for one friend versus the other? Is it quid pro quo? Mm, that is a good question. I think I think it depends, right? Um, like I said, I already have I've, I still have a lot of friends around this um, you know um, time as well. Samantab is my friend. We play football together. We meet each other. You're my friend. Um, in terms of work as well, we see each other in you know community events. But I think it's the there's a word we call terbiyat in our community. I think it comes out in the way that even if I don't know you, I will help you out. I don't need anything back from it. What what differentiates to your mind a close friend versus a uh, a friend? For me, a friend. If if, if I call Usman Sab at two a.m. at night, <laughs> I know he's not picking up. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, don't, and and I, I wouldn't blame him in that sense. Don't, well, don't but, expect me to pick up. You I, no, say you, you're just not going to do that. My friend, my phone is usually off at that time, anyway. So, <laughs> um, no, no, but I, I don't, or, or the ringer is ex- exactly. That's yeah. what I, no. Or even I've called you near morning prayers. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't expect him, and no, I wouldn't blame him. Don't say it like this. If you called me, I would pick up. But but yeah. the thing is, you would not call me. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you'd call someone that, else. That's, that's a different matter. Um, yeah. No, but if I do need uh, something, you know, there there is a saying which is uh, a friend in need is a pain in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the other way. A friend in need. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, yeah. I think um, that I was just giving an example. I, I know he would pick up. That's not the point. But um, for me, in the sense, I wouldn't unnecessarily disturb anyone's family at that time of night. Right, but if I do need something and he's available, that's what a close friend would be. And the thing he wouldn't ask it, um he wouldn't ask whether what's happened, why has it happened. He said, "What do you need?" At that moment in time, right? And there's a very few people in my mind who I know that will offer that type of help. And if, for example, if my, if for example, if say my wife's in trouble or something like that, right? Someone I can trust with that yeah. responsibility, sure. right? That you know, can you go and pick her up, for example? Or can you so so does it then boil down to who helps you more? No, it Who's doesn't. Oh no! But I think in terms of time and need, depending on what the actual circumstance is and how big of that circumstance it is, and I wouldn't say help. I would even call it assurance, mental insurance. Yeah. If I call this person up right now and I need something that you, you need know, advice, I need advice. For example, right? Before we have um, Clifford Thomasi who sure. is number one. The best advisor. Of course. Best mentor um, but if have, there's yeah. someone who's already g- gone through the same circumstances that I'm going through yeah. 
and maybe there's a way out of that circumstance. I will somebody you need to talk to exactly, yeah. and I'm comfortable speaking to, and I know I can trust them with those issues. Mm. Um, there are very few people in my mind that I can call. Um, Smansa might be one of them. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> I think the the one you say that the person who helps you more. I agree with that. Right. Uh, not just help. I think it's the person who has sacrificed more to help you will naturally become closer to you. Mm. But it's not always the case that some sometimes it does happen that I am your best friend, but you are not my best friend. Yeah. You have another yeah. best friend. Yeah. So, uh, like, because I have good friends, but to be honest, I'm not a good friend myself. Mm. Because I have friends who... who I'm will, not calling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends who will, without thinking about, like, like money, or without thinking about their time, they will come and ask me. Uh, they want to help. But I'm not a person who wants to help. But if you do need help, I'll help you. But I'm not someone who will go out my way to ask you, do you need help? And right. I can help you. So I think there's different levels of friendships as well. I think yeah, one one like thing I would add to that is that if someone's calling you on a day just to ask, ask how are you, I think in the sense that is a good friend. Because mm. I will do that very often. I don't I don't want to brag or anything. There's a very few people where if I haven't spoken to them for, or I've met them for two weeks mm. and I'm driving or something like that and my mind pops up, I think I should give him a call just to see if he's okay. Yeah. It's not necessarily that I'm ignoring him or he's ignoring me or whatever it is. We're busy. Everyone's got their own lives, etc. But it's not like we're not good friends. Is it is it that usually that you uh, want to see if they're okay or is it your own need that you're fulfilling that you're missing them? It could be both. Yeah. It could be both in a sense. But at that time or moment, I think I'll rather call them to find out maybe there is something that's happened. Reason being that we haven't been in contact that much. But in terms of even, like, I would respect anyone who has families. Everyone has to get time for their families. I think friends are part of a person's life. But when you have a family, I think family prioritizes that friendship in the sense yeah. that that friend, if he truly understands his friends properly, and, you know, if they have children, if they have wives to attend to, parents, or whatever it is, right? I don't think a friend should impede in that time in the sense that then, for me, that is actually a true friend. Um, if he's calling me up and if I say, for example, I'm outside with my family, he wouldn't carry on talking on the phone, going yeah. on for five or ten minutes, talking about random stuff. He would say, okay, enjoy your time. Yeah. I'll call you later. That essence of understanding, I think the maturity of understanding relationships is the true essence that a friend should have. Um, and that helps out as well in terms of, you know, um, very, you know, circumstantial needs that sometimes sometimes a person needs. Sure. Uh, Imam Osman, do you, would you say that everybody, every person has the potential to become somebody's best friend? Or would you say that some people are just, just don't have it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. It's, it's a tough one because it's true. Some people are good at being friends. Yeah. Um, I think everyone will have a best friend, but again, not everyone can be a best friend. Um, mm. Like because you you need to be the best at this, and I think naturally nobody, like everyone, can't be the best at something. You can't have everyone being a best friend. Do you think everyone will have a best friend? Would you? Yeah, would, I think. I think do so. you? Wouldn't say? Would you say that people who are introverts, for example, wouldn't have friends? 
Mm, I don't think so. I, I think I think, I think, I think um, it doesn't have to be <coughs> someone external. Your family can be your friend as well. Your sisters, yeah. your brothers, they yeah. can be your best friends. Correct. Um, but and is it, is it better to have have? I don't think. <laughs> 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 you know, there's certain stuff that you can't discuss with your family sure, that you can yeah, discuss you can with them, and it's it gives a different comfort. Correct. Right. Um, uh, but like we're told in Islam, anyways, if there's a time of need and a time of help, we always pray. Mm. Right. That's the first thing you should be doing, anyways, before you go to anyone else or anything else. And then we have Khalifatul Masih. Right, but other than that, there are friends who are you know you can ask advice for, and like they, they don't have to be external. Um, luckily, me and him went through seven years of with meeting different people. Um, surviving seven years with a class is very tough. Yeah, um, we have come from different backgrounds sure. and different sacrifices, and, and stuck in a you know in yeah, a stuck room in a room or just studying seven years, yeah, and then you know it's, it's, it's the time. same t- same timetable every day. Um, yeah. To go through that, like it's about brotherhood and friendship. You do establish a certain bond, even with those people that you don't agree with, in certain things, right? And you do call them friends, um, and even I, I've, I would like I wouldn't say proudly, but I don't keep in contact with all the seventeen people that I've graduated with. Mm. Um, but when I do see them, there's a sense of joy and happiness, mm. and ask them how their families are, etc. Mm. Mm. So I still classify them as friends, although maybe I meet them after two, three years. Right. Um, like I said, like Usman was mentioning this. Think different levels of friendship, sure. But for every friend that I see, there's always joy and happiness. Because I think there would be at least a basic level of trust, exactly, between you and them because yeah. of you know the time the that you spend exactly, spending together. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, um, yeah. So, so what about that question then? Do you, do you think everybody can be a, has the potential to be a? I think getting a best friend best in this time of life is very hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a best friend. It, it does it, get harder it, as you grow up. It That's does. It does. Yeah. It does. Of yeah. course, it does. Um, when you have families, children, I don't. To have a title as a best friend is very difficult to achieve. Hmm. You'll need to spend a lot of time with that person. Hmm. But then again, every's be- everyone's best friend is different in their minds. Sure. For me, a best friend could be different to his best friend. So, hmm. define your best friend, if, if if I may. Who would be um, a true friend to you? A true, a true friend for me will be, you know, someone who will even think of me during their bad day. If he's going through something and he thought, let me give Nabil a call to see how he is. Maybe I might get some joyness or happy out of that. Um, let me give him a call. And he does get joyness and happiness out of that. Mm. Right. Yeah, I've been through some stuff where, you know, people might assume that when they give me a good news and it's a bad time for me, I wouldn't get joy and happiness out of that. And mm. I've I've been asked that directly. For example, there was a time where um, I was going through something and uh, family-wise and wherever it is, and that person already knew what was happening, and he had a very good news to give me, and he was hesitant to to, to give me that news. Yeah. And then he goes he goes to me that um, the way he portrayed the story was I have a friend, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he's yeah. he, he's he's pondering whether I should give this good news to another friend who's going through another bad time, and then I'm thinking, is this friend me? Right. <laughs> and he goes, yes. I was like, why why would you ex- why would you Third even party discourse. exactly? So I was like, why why would you even think like that? Yeah. If you know me very well, I'll be happy for you. I wouldn't think it. I wouldn't think in the sense that why why don't I have a good time right now? Why where's my good news? Mm-hmm. I'll be happy for you for you telling me this, and it will give me joyness and happiness, and I'll pray for mm-hmm. you even more. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that in the sense of that, that that's a good friend. Um, but getting a best friend, best, best friend, mm. that's got to be someone, maybe your wife, 
because mm. she knows everything. Mm. I will classify the, her as a best friend. She knows your ins and outs. She knows when you're bad. She knows when you're good. She knows what you need. Um, necessarily, a friend wouldn't know that because mm. a, f- a best friend should be someone who's there with you 24-7. Yeah. No, and, and I absolutely, I think uh, Imam Usman also mentioned that. And I think it it would it would perhaps also be a really a perfect situation if your wife was your best friend. Exactly, yeah. Because, like you said, you know, you, that's the person you're spending most of your time with. That's the spend, person you're spending your life with. And it would be, um, I think the problems arise in marriages because because couples uh, don't communicate and, or stop communicating and stop being friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if you are friends and if you are best each other's best friend, then um, then that solves a lot of problems. And I think that that I uh, think even 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 another factor I would say with you with you saying that loyalty, trust, forgiveness, mm. it's a huge yeah. factor. Yeah. So it goes even actually for the Messiah has said here. So um, when given advice to couples, I think which you can actually interpret into relationship with friends as well is to you know close your mouth, uh, clog your ears, you know ignore what the person's weakness is. Yeah. Because once you start pondering about that, you're never going to move to the next stage. Exactly. Because With everybody co- has weaknesses. Everyone has weaknesses. Even your friends will have weaknesses. Yeah. But to... Yeah, we have weaknesses. We exactly, exactly. Realize, <laughs> so, yeah. um, but it's like to address that stage of weakness, there's, there's two things, yeah, so um, which we can carry on after the news. <laughs> sure, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, yeah, we are coming up uh, to the 8 o'clock news and we're talking about the, su- the subject of friendship. And um, after the news break, we'll come back and and talk more about this important subject and talk more about the importance of brotherhood in Islam as well. Why is uh, what what are the roots of brotherhood in Islam and why is brotherhood considered important in Islam? Do do stay tuned. Voice of Islam Radio. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Allah, the Lord of glory, has also given me the glad tidings that some of the nobility and some of the kings will also join our group. He vouchsafed to me the revelation. I shall grant you blessing upon blessing, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments. Those who seek blessings in this manner will enter into the bath, the Pledge of Allegiance. 
because of their entering into the bayat, their governments will also practically belong to this community. Then I was shown those kings in a vision. They were riding upon horses and were not less than six or seven. I saw in a blessed dream a group of sincere believers and just and righteous kings, some of whom belong to this country, India, some to Arabia, some to Iran, some to Syria, some to Turkey, and some to other regions of which I am not aware. Thereafter, I was told by Allah the Almighty, وأعطي لك بركات حتى يتبرك الملوك بثيابك وأدخلهم في المخلصين إني مهين من أراد إهانتك These people will affirm your righteousness and will believe in you and will call down blessings upon you and will pray for you. I shall bestow great blessings upon you so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments and I will join them amongst your sincere followers. This is the dream that I saw, and this is the revelation that was vouchsafed to me by God the All-Knowing. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Peace be upon you. Welcome back to the breakfast show. Uh, we are talking about friendship. So uh, I have two lovely friends here with <laughs> me. <laughs> and uh, we've had a really good discussion. I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. If you want to join this uh, discussion, and you want to be our friend, then uh, call us on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and we can have a talk. Uh, anyways, we were talking about friendship, and uh, since this is the voice of Islam, uh, obviously we're going to mention what friendship and uh, brotherhood is in in terms of Islam. Uh, thinking about this, the greatest example in in history uh, of brotherhood and friendship that I've read or that I know about is the brotherhood which was established between a immigrant and a, a residing person about 1400 years ago in Saudi Arabia. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, when he migrated from Mecca to Medina uh, because of persecution, a lot of Muslims, I think all of all of the Muslims, uh, after some time migrated to Medina now there was a huge problem a uh, huge migration uh, there is no houses for those people to live in they have uh, you need to remember that the Meccans were mostly traders uh, that was that was their speciality the people from Medina they were farmers now if a farmer has to move from one place to another he can still do something with his life he can start growing on another spot but for a trader to move from one place to another place and you know re-establish his trade his his name and his um, market is very difficult so in in these circumstances the holy prophet peace be upon him 
did something really amazing. He took one brother from the migrants, from the from the Meccans, and one brother from the people who were living in Medina, and he created a a bond of brotherhood between them. Now, this brotherhood, it, it wasn't years old. It was not from childhood. It was an instant brotherhood. The Holy Prophet Wasallam, peace be upon him, he said that you and you, I announce you as brothers in Akhwat. And how how would you think if somebody made you a, a friend like this, like you kind of imposes a friend on you? Now, obviously, you would think that oh, maybe I don't, I don't want this one. I want the other one. <laughs> but the 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 reply. Look at the reply of the people of the Medina. They said that one one story uh, narrates that one of the people, one of the muhajir, um, yeah, one of the muhajir from Medina. He said that um, I I am ready to share everything with this brother, which which the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has. Uh, tied my brotherhood with He said so much so that I give you half my money I give you half the house And he said I have multiple wives And I'm ready to divorce a wife as well uh, For your needs And that level of brotherhood is, is insane Now I think but th- There's a reason why there was this passion And that will take us I think To the best friend anyone can have In this world Which is God Almighty and the reason is that what does a friend need? I think Daniel Sabi mentioned in the beginning. You need, you need loyalty, trust, and one more thing I don't remember. <laughs> Let me think about that as well. So loyalty, um, trust. What was the third one I said? Uh, that's <laughs> I'm racking my brain. Now. You need definitely loyalty, trust, and uh, I don't know. Can't can't oh. remember anymore. Anyways, regardless, I think these two are enough as <laughs> well. <laughs> but if if you if you, I mean, if you think about this, the God Almighty is, he has to be the most loyal being, yeah. because if he is not loyal, the the the, the nature of the the law of this world will will not work. If he makes a promise, God Almighty, he is he has the strength to break it, but he will not break it because respect. this is his respect. <laughs> mm. Yes, Got so it. loyalty. Yes. Um, respect and trust and trust um, I forgot my point right now <laughs> <laughs> right no, no, no that's fine so yeah Imam Nabil if you can if you can just jump into this maybe close the topic so the, the question that, that we're asking is how important um, I, I think we've established <coughs> in the initial discussion that friendship is very important so how important is friendship or brotherhood in Islam and um it, it, does that even um, do, is that even visible um, uh, the friendship brotherhood or or this um, uh, the importance of having unity even in the various prayers uh, like the Hajj or the uh, um, prayers well, the thing is that um, I think people tend to forget that in Islam the whole thing right it's a community hmm. it's not that you know, we get more prayers, in, we get more blessings in reading prayers and cook in, in together hmm. in the mosques. It's not a single prayers. Yeah, we've been actually commanded. The men have been commanded to go and read into the mosque if there is a mosque nearby you, right? So I think ten people tend to forgive. It's not you can read on your own. There's there's no harm in it. But there's more blessings in the fact when you're with your brothers and your sisters. Yeah, 
and when you can reach those blessings together, right? We we just went past the annual convention of the MDM Muslim community. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity to work in um, you know MTA Africa. You were yourself in Voice of Islam. Smansa was in uh, Itka. Yeah, Itka. So the 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 chronic department of the community. Um, is we're not we're not single single handedly running those departments. There's over two thousand volunteers. Not volunteers, external volunteers. They're actually brothers from our community. It solely runs on brotherhood and sisterhood. Um, the Lajnai Maila as well. Um, and people are, you know, that blessing you get when you're with your brothers is not the same blessings if you're working with your work mm. colleagues, etc. Mm. externally. Mm. Um, you guys can evenly, you know, as, um, prove to that and admit that as well. The amount of joy and happiness you get working with your brothers, praying together, and working together is not the same as it usually is, um, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I'm reminded of uh, the purposes of uh, this annual convention. One of the purposes is uh, brotherhood. So, yeah, exactly. To, to meet your brothers. And uh, and I'm also reminded of this other um, uh, tenet of Islam, which is Hajj, yeah. which is also about uh, brotherhood uh, getting together in Makkah uh, for that purpose. Right, so... With that, uh, we can close this discussion on the importance of brotherhood <coughs> and friendship in Sorry, life uh, uh, Daniel, and religion. Food. Sorry, for you, for you go. As you reminded me, the question I asked you about bad friend. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I did find a, a saying of the Holy Prophet which defines a bad friend. I think very go ahead. Yeah, very generously. Yeah, uh, Holy Prophet said that the example of a good friend is uh, is the example of a musk seller. Of a perfume seller, yeah, you will benefit from him. Either you will buy a perfume, and you will benefit from that, or even if you don't benefit from it, you will benefit from his company because of the good smell. Yeah, and the example of a bad friend is that of a blacksmith. You may benefit from him if you buy something, but if you don't buy anything, then it will only make your clothes smell nasty, and he will probably burn your clothes if the fire gets on you. So I think this is a really an amazing. Repeat the last part. The bad friend is is like a blacksmith. It's like a blacksmith. Mm. So either you will benefit from him mm. if you buy something, or if you're in his company and you're not <coughs> gaining anything or buying anything, mm. he he will, it won't benefit you. Rather, it will harm you. Yeah. He will. His company because might of harm the, you. Because yeah. of the yeah. furnace, either you the clothes yeah. might burn, yeah. or you will have a uh, bad smell Lovely. left behind. Yeah. Very nice. Perfect word to finish. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for that, uh, Imam Usman Manan. And with that, we close this segment on friendship. The second segment we want to talk about today is about volunteering and the benefits of volunteering. We shall now take a very quick break, and when we come back, we'll delve right into volunteering. Do stay tuned. <laughs> You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Writings of the Promised Messiah. The real purpose of all the external and internal limbs and faculties 
that has been bestowed on man is understanding and worship and love of God. That is why, despite a thousand occupations, man does not find his true well-being except in God Almighty. Having acquired great wealth or achieved high office or having become a great merchant or having acquired governing authority or become a great philosopher, he departs in the end from these worldly involvements with a sense of frustration. His heart rebukes him all the time about his deep concern with the world and his conscience never approves his wiles and deceits and wrongful actions. When he takes stock of man's faculties and powers to discover his highest capacity, we find that he is invested with the faculty of seeking after God so much that he desires that he should become so devoted to God's love that he should have nothing of his own and that everything should become God's. He shares his natural needs like food and drink and rest. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome back to the breakfast show where we are about to delve into the second topic, which is about volunteering. And without any further ado, let me go straight to our first guest for this topic, who is Holly. Holly Meacham, who has worked for charities and third sector organizations, supporting young people and in the education sector for over 15 years in a range of leadership and management roles. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Hi, hi. Nice, nice to be here. Thank you very much for joining us uh, early in the morning, Holly. So, uh, firstly, what do you think are the, are the benefits of volunteering? Why should one volunteer? There are so many benefits for for volunteering. I mean, first of all, I think for me, it's a really great opportunity to make um, a real impact on a cause that you that, that matters to you. Um, lots of people really care about um, about what's happening in the world, and it's a way that you can make a real and, and tangible difference. Um, it's brilliant for your well-being. So people get an enormous sense of pleasure and of happiness from from giving their time and for their skills and expertise being recognised. So REACH really focuses on skills-based volunteering where people um, volunteer their professional skills to charities and other non-profits. And for us, um, our volunteers really um, benefit from from being able to use what the the kind of skills that they've developed in their professional sort of lives to help um, help charitable causes and that sense of having made a wider contribution to society is really powerful as well um, and I think as well it's really empowering and, and powerful to be able to take action on something that's really causing you concern so um, I think the climate crisis is a really good example where people are struggling with eco-anxiety and not really sure what to do but volunteering can offer, offer people um, an opportunity to take action um, and make a difference. So this point that you made about uh, you know making a difference or and then um, feeling a sense of uh, fulfillment uh, for somebody who might be working in the city and listening to to us now, 
uh, he or she might be thinking, well, you know, um, I should make my uh, uh, my hundreds of thousands or millions. Why why should I do that? What what in your experience do people get out of it? I think. Um there's, there's a, there, we hear quite a lot of different reasons that people um, or volunteer away. They choose to volunteer, and what they kind of get they get out of that experience. And that sense of community is a is a really important one. I think that comes through quite strongly. So, feeling part of a group of people who are working together for a good cause and to make change. I think um, connecting up with like-minded people, and um, or not like-minded people. That's not the right way of putting it. People who are kind of working towards the same cause as you who care about the same things can be um, a really kind of powerful thing to connect up and to meet other people that you might not otherwise have come across and um, there is an element of skills development as well for people to feel that they so if you think about a trustee role for example Mm. that's a really great way of um, extending your leadership skills and learning about governance and how you can how organizations um, can be led and um, kind of governed in a sustainable way. So there's really good opportunities for skills development there. Um, I think just generally people do want to give back. They care about the world and want to help make things better. And volunteering is a really, um, yeah, like I said before, it's a really um, kind of practical way of doing that. Right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the world of volunteering? So I've... um, I've worked in the charity sector for, for years and with um, young people and education primarily. And I'm, I'm quite new to REACH, actually. I'm just nearing the end of my first year, but I've been a trustee myself for about four years. Um, and I initially joined quite a very small charity, actually, that, um, that uh, focused on developing literacy and numeracy numeracy skills in um, people, mainly young people. And initially, I kind of accidented into it, to be honest with you. But the benefits of being a trustee to me have been huge, because as I said before, not to labour the point, but I have really been able to develop um, my leadership skills and my kind of knowledge of strategic management, which was really important at that point in my career actually more so than that it helped me recognize what I can do and what I what I know and the the kind of skills and expertise that I bring to the workplace I can transfer those into another environment that really make a difference to um to young people and so um that was yeah that was really important for me and and kind of in my education role as well or in the role at the charity that I worked for I was I was responsible for some trustee and governance recruitment as well which is what led me to reach and it's been just the most brilliant time learning more about the volunteering sector and um, just how much we've got some really incredible volunteers on our platform who are giving their time freely and it's just oh yeah I find it really inspiring. Would you say that you that you like it more now because you are um, more and more in the presence of like-minded people? Yeah, I think I think what it is for me is that it's opened my eyes to the possibilities. And that's so at Reach we focus on, like I said before, skills based volunteering, which is our most our volunteers need to have at least three years experience um in the kind of professional environment using the skills that they want to volunteer. 
And some of the things that they get involved in are really important to small charities who really need expertise in quite specific areas that they just wouldn't be able to, to access otherwise. Our volunteers are using their skills to really kind of further these, these charities, these organisations. And I think um, the, the possibilities are so broad. There's so much that, that can be done through um, the power of volunteers. And I think... Um, yeah, if I'm honest, I hadn't really had my eyes open to that um, before working with Reach, even though I had, um, even though I reached to recruit before. But certainly, in terms of my trustee role, the opportunity to meet with other people who, who were kind of yeah working towards the same cause, who all had the charities or, or uh, um, not-for-profit organisations at their heart. That's um, yeah, that is a really powerful. That's a really powerful thing, and yeah, it's definitely um, yeah. I don't yeah. I think I do feel more connected to to volunteering mm. from that kind of through that thread as well. Um, Britain has a has a, a large population of people uh, who volunteer, and there's a big tradition of volunteering mm. in the country as well. Why why do you think that is versus versus other countries? Uh, Oh, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I don't. It, it, I think um, I need to have a good think about that one. But it's a really interesting question. I do think there's there's opportunities to take part. I think is really important. And mm. um, I mean, my knowledge is really UK based, so I I kind of wouldn't um, kind of like pose this as a comparator to other countries. But in terms of the 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 kind of opportunities to get involved in volunteering and mm. there's been quite a lot of promotion over the you know over the years about the about kind of opportunities you can take part in what is really interesting at the moment actually is that the charity sector has seen a decline in volunteers and um, volunteering numbers which is actually a, a real problem um for the charity sector mm. and so um the kind of lots of organizations rely on volunteer time to to keep going and so if they're struggling now to recruit volunteers and then once they've recruited and retained them that's that's um that's a real problem for our sector but really interestingly at reach we're seeing record numbers at the moment we're seeing lots of people sign up and i think there's lots of different reasons that that could be and we're, we're sort of we're doing quite a bit of analysis now to understand it a bit better but i really think there's something in in people recognizing that volunteering is something that they can do so i think sometimes when we say volunteering there's a kind of automatic connection a kind of automatic leap to, to kind of certain types of activities but um if you think about skills-based volunteering it's a kind of for lots of people they're not really sure what what it is and what the, and that, that it's something that they could do so um i think that's that's been a kind of um a sort of puzzle for us to think about over the last couple of months to be honest about what's kind of um bringing people to reach a service where other parts of the sector are, are kind of experiencing some difficulties with volunteer recruitment yeah um, i was just thinking about this so if we were to compare the volunteering sector here versus across the atlantic for example with the us uh, proportionally, the number of volunteers in the UK are are much higher. The number, of course, would be higher in mm-hmm. absolute numbers would be higher in the US because uh, you know just the sheer size of the country. Mm-hmm. But as a percentage, it's it's much higher here. And uh, 
and I was just thinking about it and, and wondering mm. as to why that was. Is it because, you know, there is a, there have been wars fought here in Europe and, and there is a tradition of, of helping people or, or because we are, um, um, uh, we are a country where uh, there is a big social sector mm. and we want to help, uh, you know, other people, the, the homeless, the needy, the, um, or, or, or something else. What do you think uh, might be the difference? Yeah, I think there's I think there's some really interesting points you raised there. And actually, um, though we did see quite a big surge, didn't we, as a country around when um, the pandemic was kind of really taking hold. People stepping forward and wanting to wanting to help and wanting to get yeah. involved. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know whether that was replicated in other countries, but certainly it does speak to a kind of willingness to to kind of step up and and help each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, uh, lastly, tell us a little bit about uh, REACH volunteering. Yes. So um, REACH is, like I say, is a skills-based volunteering charity. So our mission is essentially um, to bring people together to create a fairer and more sustainable society. So um, how it works is people can sign up to our platform to volunteer their professional skills with good causes and organizations can sign up to find people with the expertise they need to help them thrive and we help organizations find volunteers to do all sorts of things so we help with short-term projects like they might need someone to come and have a look at their financial accounts or to develop a marketing strategy or longer-term projects which might be that they need ongoing help with managing their website or their social media and we also help recruit for trustee and board roles most of what we do is um, a kind of self-service platform. So we're there to facilitate the conversation. And there's loads of really good advice and guidance on the website as well that I really urge people to have a look at if they're thinking about volunteering or they're thinking about recruiting volunteers. There's some really good supportive stuff about recruiting trustees and recruiting skills-based volunteers. Um, and, yeah, we also have a, an executive kind of search function called trustee work where we work more intensively with boards to help find um, trustees as well but essentially what we're trying to do is um, is to connect people up and bring people together to help them um, help organizations find the expertise they need so that they can they can make change and and kind of contribute to like I say a more a fairer and more sustainable society excellent Imam uh, Osman do you have a question uh, yes. Uh, hi, Holly. I do have uh, like two quick questions. Number one, what sure. what do you think makes a good volunteer? And uh, just to, like follow up to that, what is one of the best examples of volunteering volunteering uh, you have seen in your career? Uh, something that stands out, maybe. Ooh, oh, good questions. Um, the good volunteer is is a really interesting one. I think there's a lot a lot for us. Um, one of the things that we think is really important when we're trying to match up volunteers and organisations is that people's um, expectations are really clear. So that kind of good communication is a really essential um, kind of um, pillar of a good volunteer um, relationship with an organisation so that everyone's clear about what they can and can't do and time commitment and all that sort of thing. Um, and then I think really like I mentioned earlier, attention for volunteers can be quite difficult. So people who are able to commit for um, 
for as long as the organisation needs them, which might be in a short-term position or a, or a longer-term one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really the things that, that, that I really love to see in volunteer and organisation connections are when they've, so maybe they come together to do one specific thing, but actually they can develop a relationship which is beyond that kind of first transactional step. And they, the organisation, the volunteer are kind of working together to make, um, you know, beyond what they thought might have initially been possible. So I suppose in terms of a good volunteer, the kind of ingredients for that would be that clear um, communication and willingness to help, but kind of openness to opportunity as well and um, I think that's where it's really important that people think quite carefully about what what causes they want to volunteer to and what skills and expertise and knowledge they're kind of prepared to or they're ready to contribute. Yep, um, and in terms of a really good example of volunteering, um, gosh, there's so many. We, we hear a lot from organisations who are, um, one of our favourite quotes is, Oh, I'm going to get this wrong because I, um, I haven't got it in front of me, but somebody <laughs> um, said that they had... A volunteer who did really well in a couple of hours something mm. that it would taken them several weeks to do badly oh, and yeah. that's um yeah that's like gold that's music to my ears because that's exactly what we're that's exactly what we're trying to do so um i'm sorry that's not a very specific example but that's the kind of um yeah that's the magic bit for me mm. no thank you that was that was good enough <laughs> <laughs> excellent thank you very very much holly thank you for joining us this morning thank you for sharing your um uh, your views and opinions and, and thank you for talking about what great work you do at uh, Reach Volunteering and I'm sure uh, listeners um, listening in would um, if they want to get in touch they uh, would um, have the details uh, and the necessary information to do that. Thank you once again uh, have a lovely day and uh, lovely rest of the weekend uh, sorry, uh, rest, rest of the week I should say, <laughs> not the weekend Yeah. <laughs> It's still Monday morning. Still, still very, very early to, to be thinking about the weekend. Yeah. My apologies for that. Oh, <laughs> right. Not at all. Lovely to speak to you. Likewise. You take care. Peace be with take you. Bye bye. So that was um, Holly Meacham, who, Meacham, who is the um, uh, uh, who uh, has served in a lead in a range of leadership and management roles, um, and is currently the head of service and operations at Reach volunteering. Let me go straight now to our next guest, who is Dave Stott, who is the head of volunteering and safeguarding for the Royal Voluntary Service. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Morning. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was lovely to hear from, from Holly there, promoting all things volunteering. Hopefully I can, I can do just as good. Tell us about uh, Royal Voluntary Service to start off with. Yeah, of course, definitely. So, so the Royal Voluntary Service has, has been around for, for a very long time. One of uh, Britain's largest volunteering organisations. You know, we provide very, multiple services, you know, vital, responsive services in, in public health, social care, and well-being. But also, you know, wider communities. And and our, you know, we our motto is it does what it says on the tin. So our mission is to you know inspire and enable voluntary service to meet whatever the needs of the day are. And we do this through a, through a variety of ways. So so we help people to to volunteer their time, skills and, and life experience in, in perhaps one-to-one settings, group or online services, um, which obviously helps to improve the health and well-being, resilience, confidence and, and connections to their communities. And then more recently, you know, we've been very proud to, to help deliver the NHS and, and Care Volunteer Responder Programme uh, for NHS England and the, the Department of Health and Social Care. This is where our, our volunteers 
um, work remotely to, to help ease pressure on the health and social care systems and, and relevant staff to provide support, support to those people receiving care from local services or perhaps those who've been recently discharged from hospitals. Oh, okay. Um, what are the benefits, according to you, of volunteering and how are you might have seen throughout the whole, you know, your, your service, how are individuals and communities um, positively impacted through volunteering? Yeah, no, definitely. So, so volunteering has, has an incredible impact. So, so just a couple of, of quick stats. So we, we do numerous surveys, reports and, and insight gathering. But, but just last year, 92% of the people that, that we supported through our, our volunteer services said that our supporters helped their, their sort of mental health or, or well-being. Um, but the volunteers themselves also get some incredible uh, impact and, and uh, sort of support for themselves. So every year we ask the, the volunteers themselves, you know, what, what it's done for them. And, and we're delighted with the responses. So it gives them better physical, mental health and well-being, you know, more confidence, new skills or, or valuable work experience. You know, for some of our volunteers as well, you know, it gives them a greater sense of purpose or perhaps a better connection to their own community. So it really does provide a, a crucial role in in society and offers numerous benefits both for individuals uh, who volunteer but also the communities they support um so yeah it's it's great <laughs> uh yeah hi dave uh, you know for volunteering i think um, maybe someone who's just beginning a, a field or in a career wants to do some volunteering to improve his skills but uh, mm-hmm. do you also get experts who have had years of experience in their field who come for volunteering are they willing to you know uh, give up their like income or uh, working for monies and start volunteering for you yeah no definitely so so volunteer the reasons behind volunteering now are, are really varied you know that they're, they're not one homogenous group you know they, they volunteer a variety of reasons and, and you've mentioned some of them there you know looking to gain new skills mm. and as i mentioned earlier perhaps making new friends you know physical mental health or well-being and then you know there's a lot of people that have gained a wide variety of skills in, in their personal professional career and, and they want to give something back perhaps they want to support a particular cause uh, or perhaps you know develop the, the next generation of, of whatever skill it is that they're trying to share um, so it's really important that, that you know volunteers you look for something that is that appeals to yourself and and it's, it's on your own terms and it's just as rewarding for you as well as the people you're supporting um, because you know we, we truly believe that you deserve to get something back from it as well Yeah, great. Right. Thank you very, very much uh, for joining us this morning, Dave. Uh, really appreciate uh, your uh, getting up early in the morning just for us. Thanks so much. Have a lovely day. Take care. And you. Bye-bye. Peace be with you. Right. So that was Dave Stott uh, from the Royal Voluntary Service. Um, and that uh, brings me, gentlemen, to the, uh, to a question to, to both of you, which is about uh, the annual convention that we just held uh, the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in the UK. Um, 41,000 people attended that convention. Uh, it was held over three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, the previous weekend. Um, over 250,000 meals were prepared. And uh, uh, from what I've learned, uh, the the flatbed bread plant over there uh, produced about 9,000 flatbreads an hour. How, and there were seven thousand volunteers, obviously, to to uh, to help uh, manage that uh, those forty one thousand people. Um, it is obviously held in a farm in Alton in Hampshire, and the farm is converted every year 
within a period of 20 days, uh, 28 days to this mini city housing about 41,000 people or taking care of 41,000 people and then deconstructed and, and converted back into a farm all within a period of 28 days. Um, you've both volunteered for that um, event. What makes you, what did you get out of it? So if I can come to you. Oh, I was about to right. say, um, yeah. um, right now, even right now, sitting here, I'm physically and mentally fatigued, but in a good way. Yeah, It's not a bad thing. Um, I think every year we have the opportunity to exert ourselves to our, to our capabilities just to volunteer for this. In those three years, uh, people don't understand there was COVID in between. So yeah. we didn't have that many guests. It was just internal. Yeah. Still, to be able to volunteer during that service, it's, it's amazing. But this year was just to another level. Exactly. Um, I think in terms of, I would say, even MTA, um, which I had the opportunity to serve in, um, it was just busy, 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 mm. busy. Like, we didn't have a chance to take a break. But like I said, again, it's in a good way in order to help out and serve the guests, external guests as well, and the guests of the promised Messiah. There's a blessing in itself. Mm. Um, and it's it's something that you need to, I'll call like refresh your life. Yeah. Because um, we Virtual don't always... MOT, yeah. Exactly. We don't get the opportunity every time. Um, of course, Ramazan does come by. But this is another type of refreshing yourself uh, mentally and physically. Um, to be able to give it all just to, you know, um, serve the guests of the Promised Messiah. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Imam Manan, why, why do you volunteer uh, year in, year out? What do you get out of it? I think the best time I had, uh, I've done this a few years, the best time was, it was maybe two or three years ago, uh, it was the hottest Jalsa probably. Yeah, yeah. We were working for uh, two weeks, staying there. Uh, in the beginning, different wherever they needed us, we would go help. But then I, I started forming kind of a little team in, in the mm. carpeting department. Mm. We were setting out the carpets and all the marquees. And they would, uh, we would get up. They gave us a van with three, four boys. Go cut carpets, pull them out from like different places. And it was like very, very physical work. But... Obviously, like all the guys were young and fit and healthy, we were enjoying it. We were enjoying the, the you know, the fatigue after the, the long day, the, the heat. And we were just feeling that we are doing something. Like we're doing a tough job and something which is benefiting uh, this convention. And not a lot of people are doing this. So I felt a little bit of a pride in that. Hmm. And th after that, the next two years, I didn't do that kind of physical work um, it was more in the office based and very um, you know sitting around and not doing that much work so I felt like I'm missing something right. I felt like I'm, I'm, I'm wasting some time whereas mm. that, that year was so hard and so difficult yeah. I mean I was so happy when it finished but at the same time I missed it because it was it was giving me back it was giving me happiness it was giving me like we, we, made, we made some friends we made a small group and every day you were tired and you would have a good night's sleep at least <laughs> yeah I guess, I guess there's something about sweating it out uh, yeah, yeah. W when you when you sweat it out actually when you do physical work they, you know there's there's some some a different level of satisfaction that you get so um, Imam Bhatti if um, I can ask you about this tradition of Fakari Amal or the dignity of work 
that is there in in our community and i i guess that started um formally i should say uh, i think it was always there but it started formally under the guidance of the second uh, caliph of the md muslim community hazrat mirza bashiruddin mahmud ahmed may allah have mercy on his soul tell us a little bit about about that why is that important and and what is that tradition so um in terms of importance of qarim right um it gives a sense of responsibility um to our md brothers and sisters that as we do know is our event mm-hmm. right but in terms of having ex- we can get external volunteers yeah it's it's not it's not easy thing uh, it's not a hard thing to get external volunteers in terms of doing qarim in the sense of um, building the whole jarsa salana but the sense of responsibility and the sense of need that gives to mdm members it's 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 a different level um and it gives a sense that you know that um increases the spiritual sisterhood and brotherhood of doing vakarema um and preparing yourself in the sense um like i can give you an example um after mta during justice salana we have three studios that's man made by our own people by mta members right but yeah. and they built from scratch as well they built from scratch yeah. so we do the scaffolding for the stage yeah. i wouldn't personally say i was involved in the yeah. building to it but dismantling of the studio you were i was and i'm telling you it's not an easy job because there's certain ways in which the studio was built and you mm. had to dismantle it the way you can't just dismantle the whole thing in one go yeah so i had to start it from the last studio step by step, step by step so to go step by step and the screws were in such a awkward place we had to think on various <laughs> innovations just to make sure we get that screw out and so that it could be reused next year reused next year and if, so if that screw is not out the dismantling can't continue yeah so we'd be stuck on one screw for like at least 20 minutes wow and there's 20 <laughs> of us doing the dismantling so why is there's two people trying to get that screw out mm. there's just i think 18 that have been allocated to do something so that so that they're physically still so they're physically still in need of doing something <laughs> otherwise they're just standing there doing nothing but by selling that mental fatigue of just taking that one screw out yeah. that it takes a toll on you and i was stuck on that screw for 15 minutes yeah. and then uh, we had an expert at hand anyways and he told us a way to unscrew it but by the time we finished the third studio the mental and physical satisfaction we had but we still sure. had the flooring that was left yeah and and for those um, who uh, would probably be listening and not knowing what what uh, imam bhatti is talking about so this is a a studio a very professional quality studio and if you haven't had a chance to see it you can actually go on youtube and and uh, just type jalsa salana uk and you would be able to or go on mta uh, yeah. mta's website muslim television ahmedia's website and you'd be able to see the their transmission from the annual convention of the Jalsa Salana and you'd be able to see what uh, amazing professional quality work that uh, this organization actually does. Imam Manani, uh, you wanted to come in? Uh, yes, I was saying we, since we are speaking uh, about volunteering, we do still have one guest left. Uh, this is Saadia Abu Bakr. Um, Saadia is really passionate about bringing the best out of the others and allowing them to create opportunities of themselves to achieve their greatest aspirations. Um we will now be uh, speaking to uh, uh, Assalamu alaikum uh, peace be upon you uh, how are you today Saadia Waalaikum assalam I'm good thank you how are you I'm good as well thank you very much can you tell us uh, more about your experience in volunteering and about the 
I will movement. Yeah. Um, so my experiences of volunteering really started when I was studying in comprehensive school. So at the time, I was pretty passionate about sports. And so I, I had the opportunity to kind of help um, the DE department in my school with different events and different programs. So that's where it kind of all started. And then I was able to kind of do more work in the community, so volunteer at sporting competitions and sporting events, whether it was athletics or uh, swimming, uh, within my community as, as well. And I kind of just continued on that, that same journey. So when I started college, um, I kind of took the same approach. So even though I wasn't studying sports, um, kind of got involved with the uh, sporting department to continue to volunteer and and, and create programs for uh, for the students so that's how my um, volunteering kind of journey began um, and in regards to the I will movement the I will movement is essentially a movement that champions uh, change makers that champions uh, social activists, um, essentially young young people all over the UK that um, really care about uh, a certain topic and are either volunteering, mentoring, creating um, creating programs to you know to spread more awareness on that topic that they care passionately about. And the IWO movement kind of collectively brings us all together and and, and supports us and champions us in that change that we're trying to make in our communities. Mm -hmm. And what what's what kind of recommendation or advice do you give to people who want to start volunteering? Some some are hesitant about um you know giving up the the career they're already or the work they're doing. Um do you have any advice or any like um recommendations for them? Yeah, yeah, I think you know in regards to you know people that might have like um busy schedules I'd say to, to kind of like not overthink it because a lot of the time people are already volunteering without realising it. So it might even be something like, you know, helping their neighbour with their weekly shopping, you know, something, it could be something really small, but it, it makes a big impact on somebody else's, somebody else's life. So I would say to, to not overthink it and just think about, you know, in their capacity, the ways in which they can help somebody and just to, to act on it. Interesting. And what uh, can you tell us? Uh, maybe a, a story or an example of uh, um, volunteering that uh, you specifically like, or which was really amazing. Uh, could you share something with us? Yeah, yeah. I think for for me, the like best example that I could give is when it's like pretty, uh, pretty like creative. So you you have a lot of organisations that allow you to like volunteer with them. So they might have a certain like structure. So when you, you sign up there's a specific thing that you might be that you might be doing. But as I'm a young person I think the, the, the best form of volunteering is, is creative. So when you think of an idea that helps tackle a, a problem that you really, really that you're really, really passionate uh, passionate about. So in, in my case it was really when I went to college and I realised mm -hmm. that there wasn't really much for Muslim girls in, in regards to physical activity. And then I was able to kind of speak to my college and they were really able to, to, to support me to 
to think about uh, you know creating sports sessions for Muslim girls and so every other week I would give up about two hours of my time and, and we'd come together and I'd be able to facilitate these sports sessions so I think the, the best form of volunteering for me is when it, it's very creative it's an idea that you've thought about and you've, you've, you've also involved other people as well and together you're able to make a difference to other people's lives mm-hmm. and you know essentially volunteering is working for free so have you come across yeah. any um, people who have quit their jobs um, or have mm-hmm. compromised their jobs for um, just to volunteer I in my experience um, I haven't I haven't mm. and it's funny that you, you you say that you know volunteering is is being it, it is you are given your you know your, your free time you're given your your energy and your efforts but I always say you, you get so much more than that so there's things that you learn about um, about yourself and especially I think as, as Muslims as well I mean the the reward that you get as well only Allah knows but it does come back to you so what you know, I've seen just in my experiences over the past six, seven years, it does it does come come back for when you give you know help and hand um, in times where you need the most as well. You you find that help and hand as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think volunteering, you don't have to completely quit your job, right? Some yeah. there's a lot of people even in here in our studios, Voice of Islam studios. There's a lot of people who uh, work other jobs, but they still come here volunteer. Um, to give some time here so it doesn't have to be uh, you know quitting your job and leaving everything behind uh, but yeah you're right volunteering I mean everyone must have felt some benefit and some happiness from it and I think that's why so many people volunteer around the world as well yeah yeah, definitely okay great thank you very much um, uh, Sadia it was great speaking to you uh, thank you for coming on and I hope you have a, a wonderful day ahead thank you for having me thank you I know. Thank you. Bye-bye. Excellent. Right. So we are coming towards the end of uh, this show. Um, volunteering, charity are, are two very, very important um, uh, aspects uh, or tenets of Islam, I should say. And, uh, you know, even even a smile, giving a smile is considered to be an act of charity in Islam. Um Tell tell us maybe a little bit about um, uh, the the importance of volunteering uh, within Islam. You know, Quran says, "And do not forget to do good to one one another." Chapter two, verse two thirty eight. Why do we think, especially in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, it, it's so important to volunteer for uh, for various events? And we've just given the example of one event, which is our annual convention here in the UK. It's held annually, um, uh, you know, 30,000 to 40,000 people participate in that event this year, 41,000, and 7,000 people volunteered. You know, let me tell you a story I heard, why, like, how, how like, significant this volunteering is. Yeah. Uh, the national president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, mm. uh, Amir Saib, he was in a, in a meeting with some of the companies, you know, to help them. Because we do need some professionals which sure. to set up the markets, which, which is not possible. Yeah, exactly. So he was sitting in a meeting and they were discussing something. And then, uh, sorry, actually in the shura, somebody 
stood up and said something about this that we should get professionals to do this uh, set up this jalsa and uh, you know do this properly and uh, the, the president he said okay sit down let me tell you something he said a company came to me and they said you uh, we usually use around maybe f- five million you know in pounds is the budget of this jalsa yeah he came to the the president he said we have a money is not a problem our budget is over 10 million mm. we need you to train our people so mm. they can handle the work the way you do mm. they say we have so much money we have so many resources but we don't understand how you can accommodate 40,000 people provide food for them for mm. three days yeah. uh, their accommodation the, mm. the cleanliness mm. All this, and on top of that, yeah, yeah, on top of that, you yeah. you do this for three days. Yeah. We don't understand how this is possible, <laughs> and on doing this only with volunteers, yeah. without spending so much money. Yeah. So th- he said that this is this is the standard of our jalsa of yeah. our convention. And and uh, I I heard him say in in another meeting that uh, the local council actually now uh, uses the blueprint of the annual convention as as a as a model. For their events, oh, yes, yeah, uh, as well. So, um, yeah, but why and 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 how uh, do we do this? And why is it considered to be so important in our um, in our tradition in our community? It is important. I think this this my teacher used to say. There's three things like a person needs to be useful. Yeah. One is hardworking. He needs to be hardworking. Hmm. He needs to be truthful. Um, he needs to be honest, and he needs to have knowledge. Right. If you don't have knowledge, you, you can work as hard as you want, as honest as you. You don't know what to do. Yeah. If you're not honest, you can do hard work and you get everything done, but you might start stealing from them. Yeah. You might start, you know, damaging things because you can lie about it. Right. And if you're not hardworking, the, all that knowledge and that honesty goes to waste. So I think in our community, th- th- these are our values as well. That you know, honesty, always speaking the truth. Lying is, is a great sin. Okay, mm. hardworking, because if you are truly care about something, if you truly care about something, you will put all your effort in. And we see this uh, in the two weeks before this convention starts. That people are, uh, you know, they're sacrificing their jobs and everything, their time with the families to work there and stay there for two weeks, and the lasting knowledge and. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God, we have so many professionals in in our community, which help with the with the water pipes, uh, with the the the, the flatbread, the roti machine, which mm. we were talking about, with different things. We have professionals, we have doctors. That's why this is working. So we have a bit of everything, and and the the spirit of working together, the spirit of sacrifice in the community, and doing it only for the sake of God. This is what I think puts that. That final piece into that, right, that blessing into that. Absolutely. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, this world has the service world. The world has so many more people to mm. do these things. But why did that company come to the national president and say that we don't understand you, how you do it? You do it for us, yeah. Take all the money from us and you do it. <laughs> you do it for us. Uh, Imam Rabil, uh, just one minute left. Your uh, last two. I think what well, a lot of people don't understand. They are professionals who come and volunteer, and it's not even their skill set. Mm. So there's professionals who are cleaning the toilets. There are yeah. professionals who are giving hospitality to guests. It's not their skill set, but why would they do that? It's the satisfaction of doing. Yeah. It's what they need um, for them to grow in spirituality. Yeah. 
right? They, when they're not doing it for the sake, uh, you know, they've been given a job to do the game money out of it. They're not getting money out of it. There's yeah. doctors who are picking up bins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right? I, I, I still, again, our national president often gives this example of uh, uh, the son of Dr. Abdus Salam, who was a Nobel laureate. Exactly. And and, and that son is, is usually cleaning dishes. Exactly. So they don't understand that. It's the satisfaction of them mm. increasing his spirituality. That's what they need. Yeah. Um, and that's the only way they can get uh, they can get out of it. Excellent. Thank you very, very much uh, for that, gentlemen. This brings us towards the end of to- today's program. I must thank our producer, Sima Rahman, researcher, Saira Ahmed, Salia Siddiqui, and Ruksana Nasser. Thank you very much to our listeners for joining us. We shall be back next Monday. Until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.